Hey, 12th, uh, I just wanted to introduce our guest preacher for today. Um, if you don't mind, as I was sitting here getting ready to make this video, I'm like, you know, if I don't hold this right, it looks like I've got horns. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, sorry, that's how my brain works. Um, just uh, want to introduce David Manor. He's going to be preaching for us this morning, bringing the Word of God. And he is the executive director at the the Kansas-Nebraska Convention of Southern Baptists. Um, relatively new in the position, I have so much respect and appreciation for David, uh, just on so many levels as a leader, as a man of God. Um, I've learned so many things from him. He's helped me with so many things over many years, and so I'm really, uh, really honored and glad to have him this morning. So uh, can you guys all join me in giving David a 12th Avenue a welcome because remember we praise God but we do honor we do honor people so let's uh, let's welcome him with some applause well it's good to be with you this morning we are going to look in Acts chapter 3 so if you have your Bibles you can turn there we'll get there in just a few minutes if you've been reading through the New Testament uh, with your church family. You've gone through the Gospels now, and now you're in the book of Acts. And toward the end of the Gospels, which is the, the last part of, or the first part of this reading for this week, uh, that's a foundational for the church information. And then when we get to Acts, it's what the church is supposed to do with that information. So uh, at the end, in chapter 19 of John, that's the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. And that Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the, the believers uh, and, and came into the believers, and consequently, when the church started to grow, then some conflicts and dissension and things like that started to arise from the church as they started to grow and they, as they started to expand. And, and some of those ministries that the church had had before that they so loved and wanted to hold on to now had to make adjustments and be changed. And how they responded to that sounds familiar, uh, even in this last year, year and a half. Because most of us entered 2021 with, with uh, mixed emotions of both hope and apprehension. We were hopeful that things would fire back up and things would get back to normal in ministries that we had in the church. But we were ap apprehensive as a church also about what those ministries might look like on the other side of the pandemic. Because we knew some of them might change. This last year required all of us in, in our churches to make some radical adjustments in how we did ministry and did church during this season. And I believe as a result of that, we've realized that, that some of those things, how we did church on this side of the pandemic and how we'll do church on the other side of the pandemic will never be exactly the same and probably shouldn't or we haven't learned anything through this season. Now, Peter and John, the main focus of our story this morning, also dealt with a situation that, that derailed their plans of what they were going to do at church. Well, as churches, we for a year have been praying for and hoping for and believing that God would deliver us from this season we've been going through and would deliver us from those circumstances that seem to have handcuffed our ministries in our local churches and we've implored God to return things to normal, or at least some kind of normal that I can live with on the other side of the pandemic and thrive again in ministry. But like Peter and John, sometimes we have to respond to those things that have derailed those ministries, and how we respond may determine how the church moves forward. 
So that's going to be a part of our story this morning, as Peter and John also had to respond to something that derailed what they were trying to do. Now, I know as a church, and as Garen has talked about, um, as Jason's talked about, you as a church are reading through the New Testament together. I love that, that you're reading together as a church, you're studying together on Sunday, and we're going to look at one of the stories from that long passage of John 19, 28 through Acts 3, 1 through 10. We're going to look at the last 10 verses of the reading for this week. So as you've been looking through that, the Gospels record what Jesus began to do and teach in his human body. In other words, what God wanted us to know from Jesus. But the book of Acts, as we get to that, then tells us what Jesus continued to do and, and continues to do through his spiritual body, the church, us. In other words, what God wants us to do. Not just what he wants us to know, but what are we supposed to do with what we know? So the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels, they're, they're not just a formula for, for doing uh, ministry practices, but they're foundational ministry principles. So what that means is often our practices or how we do church changes, but the principles never do. Where conflict often arises in churches like 12th Avenue, like the other 470 Southern Baptist churches in Kansas and Nebraska that we relate to. Uh, what usually conflict arises when we start changing the practices. We should never change the principles. But sometimes we have to adjust, as we'll see that Peter and John did, to some of those practices. So Acts is a book of transition. And we see from the book of Acts there are a few main characters in Acts. We'll, we'll see this morning Peter and John, and you know about Peter and John from the Gospels. And then Paul will be introduced a little bit later in the book of Acts. And we're going to talk about a little bit of a comparison there, but we're not going to spend much time with Paul. But there's a transitional person between then Peter and Paul, and that transitional person is Stephen. So in the coming weeks, you're going to read about Stephen too. So as we look at that, I want to just make a little bit of a comparison because I think it's important to look at who Simon Peter was, but also look, who, uh, look at who Saul or Paul was too. See, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, was the Apostle to the Gentiles, where Peter was the Apostle to the Jews. And Stephen served as that link between the two of them. Peter and Paul were completely different from each other. As you'll see, uh, Paul was, uh, Peter was an uneducated man. He was a fisherman. Paul was an educated man. He was, a, he was a scholar. He was a trained rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He was one of those cosmopolitan kind of guys. And so what that says to us as a church, it doesn't matter if you're an untrained, uneducated fisherman or if you're an educated rabbi, Pharisee, cosmopolitan, God still uses you to continue to do ministry and grow the church. Peter and John were also opposites, as we'll see in the text. Not opposite in, in their foundation because they were both uneducated, untrained men, but they were following Christ's lead. But as we see from previous texts, Peter and John were often in competition with each other. They kept asking Jesus, Who's, who gets to sit at your right hand in heaven? Who, who gets the, the, to be the most important one? Is it I that gets to do that, they would ask of each other. So there's like this competition between Peter and John. And there's one thing that came out in this, this week's lesson, too, that we're not, I'm going to just touch on because we're not going to go back to the book of John. But I have to highlight this to illustrate how Peter and John were constantly in competition with each other. And if you read this or are going to read this, you may skip right over it and miss this. So in, in chapter 20 of this reading, 
in verse 1 through 4, the text says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene uh, came to the tomb, and this is right after Jesus was buried, and we know that he's resurrected, but Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb for the first time early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. The other disciple there is John, the one Jesus loved, and said to them both, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple, again John, went out heading for the tomb. This is where it gets kind of humorous here. The two were running together. I can picture this. They're both going to the tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene has said that Jesus is missing, and they're running together to the tomb. But then it says toward the end, see Peter and John, that competition rises up there. The two were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and got to the tomb first. So I can see this picture. It's almost humorous there. You can see they're going to see that Jesus is gone, and they're, they're racing together. And then all of a sudden, John's like pushing Peter back so he can get to the tomb first. So even in this moment at the tomb, they're competing with each other. But now as we get to the book of Acts, something's changed with Peter and John. Something internally has changed with them. And see, what's changed is Jesus is no longer with them, but the Holy Spirit is in them. So consequently, now because they realize that the only way that they as a church can advance the gospel is, they, is if they offer their bodies as a living sacrifice of praise. That means they're willing to sacrifice that, that, that need to be the first one at the tomb. And so we see this change in Peter and John, and now they are not only working together to advance the gospel, they're also walking together as Christ followers. Now that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they no longer have the need to compete to see who might be the greatest. So we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts about what happens to Peter and John as they're on the way to the temple. And if you have your scripture, the text will be on the screen too. We're going to begin with Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, but we're going to go through the first 10 uh, verses of chapter 3. Acts 3, 1 through 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. You know this story. He was placed each day at the temple gate, called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and, and look at that, that part of the story because Peter and John were on the way to the temple at that time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Well, those faithful Jewish people would go to the temple three times a day. They would go at 9 o'clock in the morning. They would go at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then they would go again at sunset in the evening. Those devout Jews would go to the temple those three times a day. And notice that Peter and John, even though they had this newfound faith in Christ, did not separate themselves from that Jewish culture, and so they were still following those guidelines, those set times for prayer, and they were going to the temple for prayer. So the first thing that I want us to see from this text is this. If our church, if 12th Avenue is going to impact culture, it must uh, not step outside of that culture, and we can't ignore that culture. Peter and John got this. They didn't remove themselves from culture now that they were Christ followers. They continued to follow those, those Jewish cultures so they could be still in that culture. We as a church, what that means for us is we must not stand condescendingly outside of the culture, but instead we need to step into that culture with our faith. 
And we are often, as Christ followers, better at judging the practices of culture than we are loving the people in that culture. Now, how can we expect those who are far from Christ to embrace something that they don't really know? And yet, we often express our public contempt of, of those, uh, we express that contempt instead of being willing to develop a relationship with those people, we have contempt for them. A number of years ago, an author and speaker, Ron Edmondson, wrote an article uh, about this particular topic, and the title of the article was, When Did Christians Become So Mean? What he said about it in the article, and he, he offered several illustrations, and one of those really stuck with me. Uh, he said that he, he interviewed some restaurant servers and asked them, when is the worst time of the week for tips and condescending attitudes? And what he said is, it's the church hour, or that hour after all the church is let out on Sunday. That's the worst hour of the week for tips and condescending attitudes. When do Christians become so mean? How do we expect to impact culture if we have that attitude when we're in that culture? Social media, I think, has contributed to that too. Social media has given a platform for us to be condescending and to vilify those who don't line up with us uh, spiritually. I wonder, though, what could occur if we as Christ followers spend as much time praying for those with whom we disagree than we do vilifying on them on social media. What could happen? How could we potentially impact that culture? It may not radically change them, but it could change us and our attitude toward them. Now, a key point in that understanding, because sometimes we're, we're cautious about stepping into the culture like that, but stepping into the culture should never cause us to compromise biblically or theologically or spiritually, but often requires us to make accommodations or make adjustments systematically and culturally and contextually. Remember the story of the woman at the well. When Jesus met her, and you read this earlier in your readings, if you're reading through the New Testament, and you know the story, and if you haven't, haven't caught up on the reading there, but in, in the New Testament there, and, and that story that's found in John chapter 4, the woman came to the well because she didn't want to connect with all of the other people at that time, but Jesus was there to meet her. And because for encounter with Jesus, this woman who had had five husbands, the one she was living with now was not her husband, actually went back, sacrificed her embarrassment, sacrificed her livelihood potentially, and the text says she went back to that community and she told them everything this Jesus had told her about her life. Now, if you look at the text a little bit farther, later in that chapter, it says because of the faith of this woman, because of her testimony, many other people came to know Jesus. So she stepped back into that culture. She didn't step back into that lifestyle, but she stepped back into that culture so that she could speak truth back to that culture. So how can we as a church ever expect to impact culture if we have no connection to the people of that culture. Peter and John got this. They were still living for the most part as obedient Jews by keeping those appointed times of prayer. Only now they had a completely different mission with those people. A second thing we'll see from this text, I think, is this. If our church is going to impact the culture, we have to be the church not only when we gather in here, but also when we disperse out there. Peter and John had plans to attend the three o'clock service. They were busy with their new faith, and they, they wanted to share it, so they were, they were on their way to the temple. And at this time of the day, there were thousands of people around there, so they had a mission. They were going to church, and I'm sure they were going to share this newfound faith. And as busy religious leaders on a mission, they could have brushed this beggar off as a distraction 
but instead they viewed him as a divine appointment. A number of years ago, now it's been probably 25 years ago, I was serving in a local church much like 12th Avenue. This was the time when our church still had a, a, a large choir and an orchestra, and we, we were preparing for Christmas music. It was a Saturday morning. It was the last rehearsal before we were going to present our Christmas music the next evening in the service. And so that morning, we had four hours of rehearsal time left and had about three hours to get it done. And I was stressed. I knew our time was limited. We had to get everything done. And so our, our schedule was tight. And we were rehearsing. My back was to the what would be the auditorium part because the choir and orchestra were on the platform. Nobody else in there, but I could tell that the choir was distracted by something. And so I turned around. I saw a man had come in the back of the worship center. I could tell by looking at his clothes that he had some needs, had some physical needs. And so I thought, if I don't deal with this situation, it's going to derail our rehearsal, and we're going to, we're going to miss the rehearsal time, and we need to get back on track with that. So I met the guy about halfway back, and I said, is there something I can help you with? Here's, here's his uh, question. He said, I've just lost my job recently. Uh, I, we have a lot of needs as a family. It's Christmas time. We need some food. We need some gas for our car. We would love to buy Christmas presents for our kids. Can your church help me? I would like to say my response was different, but here's what my response was. Well, we're right in the middle of a rehearsal right now for a worship service that's going to happen tomorrow night, and we only have a limited time to do this. So if you'll come back to our office on Monday, then I'm sure we can help you. See, in that moment, I was more concerned with doing church the next, next night than actually being the church in that moment. And I wonder, I wonder what our worship might have been like if I'd taken just a few moments to be the church in that moment. We have to be the church, and not only when we gather here, but also when we disperse out there. We're losing kingdom ground. If we exhaust all of our resources preparing and leading church services, while neglecting to prepare and lead our church in service out there too. So we can't place so much emphasis on, on going to church here that we miss being the church out there. Well, Peter and John got this. So they were willing to set aside their plans. What if we uh, were able to do the same thing? And I wonder what might occur if we as a church... When we've, what might occur when we gather as a church together if we've actually been the church out there throughout the week. I wonder what might happen. Look at verses 4 through 6 in that same passage. That story continues. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. So in those verses, Peter had said, I don't have silver or gold, but I, what I have is, is, is even better than that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I don't want you to miss a phrase there that, that the text said, because the text says that Peter and John looked straight at him. That's a, a key point there, because Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And they could have brushed him off, but instead they looked straight at him. I, I would guess that the, the beggar, the man that was lame that was sitting there was surprised because most people when they go to the temple don't pay attention to the beggars. Now, the, these beggars are pretty smart, though, because a part of the Jewish culture was there were three pillars of the Jewish faith. The first was the Torah, 
Well, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, the the law, that's what they would study when they gathered at the temple. The second pillar was worship. They would come together and they would read that text. They would worship together. The third pillar of the Jewish faith was giving gifts of charity to the poor. So the beggars were pretty smart. People were going to church and they they needed to do those three things. So usually going to the temple, they would toss coins to those beggars on their way to church. And so the beggars knew that they needed to sit in that right place. And so that beggar was probably surprised that Peter and John actually made eye contact with him. And, and they said to him, look at us. Well, how often do we as a church pass by those people in culture, ignore them on the way to do spiritual things? This last week I was in Nashville with 20,000 other Southern Baptists uh, in Nashville for a convention. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. And you always, you always worry that when you've got 20,000 Christian people, how they're going to respond to the culture where we are. But, and I know it probably wasn't perfect, but anecdotally, I didn't hear this, but heard from, uh, on social media from somebody that, that had gotten an Uber driver to take them one place. And they didn't know that they were with the, the convention group. And so they asked this Uber driver what was going on in Nashville with these 20,000 people. And the, the Uber driver said, well, there's, there's lots of Christians around here. And so the, the guy asked the Uber driver, well, what do you think about that? And he, here's his response, which I, I think is a, a great response. I'm glad it turned out this way. He said, homeless people ate more and better this week and were prayed for more this week than ever before. Now, that's impacting culture. When we actually take time to impact that culture that way, then we have a voice with that culture too. Well, Peter and John... Uh, most people ignored this beggar, but Peter and John said, let, let make eye contact with him and ask him to look at them too. The third thing that I think we see from this text is also in that part that I just read. If our church is going to impact the culture, we must do everything in the name of Jesus. We must do everything in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the disciples offered the lame man not what he wanted or what he thought he wanted, but they offered him what he actually needed, which was much better than what he wanted. By calling on the name of Jesus, Peter was calling on Christ's power and authority, knowing that Peter and John couldn't do it on their own in their own power and authority. The command for the beggar to walk was not by Peter's authority, but, but the authority found only in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the Jewish culture, the name of an individual um, was more than just a label. It represented the person's entire being and carried his or her authority. So the only way they could heal this man was in the name of Jesus. We as a church can preach sermons with great skill, but if they're not in the name of Jesus, they're not going to get past the first row of seats. And we can sing sing great songs like we did this morning, but if, if those songs are not sung and led in the power and name of Jesus, then they're just songs. And we can invest in mission causes around the world, but if those mission causes are not in the power and name of Jesus, then those ministries are unsustainable. Look at verses 7 and 8 as we continue. So he told him to get up and walk, and then verse 7, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, which is a song we learned as kids, walking and leaping and praising. Remember the song? 
And so he, the, the text says that Peter actually took him by the hand and lifted him up in the name and the power of Jesus. I wonder in that moment, the text doesn't say this, but I, I just had to wonder in that moment as I read that text. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 14, there was a time when Peter was the one that Jesus lifted up. Peter and the other disciples were on a boat and there was a storm. And if you remember, they looked out over the water and there was a, a being walking toward them. And it was Jesus walking across the water toward them. They were frightened, not only the storm, but of this, this person walking across the water. Jesus said to him, uh, do not fear, it is I. And Peter said, well, Jesus, if it's really you, then have me get out of the boat and walk on the water toward you. So Peter stepped out of the boat. And when he stepped out of the boat and he started walking across the water, he then started looking around and the wind and the waves started scaring him, took his eyes off Jesus. And immediately when he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. The text says in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus reached out his hand and lifted Peter up. So I wonder in that moment if Peter was thinking exactly the same thing. And he realized what Jesus had done for him, and then he needed to do the same thing for others. How often uh, do we, as Christ followers, how many times have we done the same thing where, where we have uh, forgotten what Jesus has done for us when it's no longer a problem for us, and consequently, then, we don't do it for others who might be in a similar circumstance. So I wonder what Peter was thinking in that moment. Well, it was a great miracle what occurred when the man walked, but what occurred next was also a great miracle. Look at the last part in verses 9 and 10. Because of what happened, in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Because of Peter and John stopping just for a moment to heal this man, then these thousands of people were filled with awe and wonder, amazement at what had occurred. So it's not only a miracle that, that the man was healed, but it's a miracle that thousands of people in culture will now, were now interested in what was going on. It's important to know that when, when we do ministry in the name and power of Jesus, that people, I believe, will be filled with wonder and awe and amazement and astonishment and consequently will come to see what is going on. In the power and the name of Jesus, people were filled with wonder and amazement. Think about in Scripture those times in, in the power of God when some of those, those men of God were, were amazed by what God had done. When Moses was at the burning bush. He was so overcome and amazed that he had to take off his sandals because he was on holy ground. You remember Isaiah in the presence of God, that vision of the presence of God. He said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. In the presence of God, those things occur. Part of the problem is that we as Christ's follower are no longer amazed. We're, we're more comfortable with the explainable. We have a need to control and predict and script those things. And that's transformed that, that awe and mystery of God and our response to that mystery into something that's scheduled like what we do on Sunday and not just what God can do out there. The culture we're trying to impact also demands the reduction of the mystery of God to something that's explainable. And yet a faith such as ours based on the infinite, can't be explained in our own finite power. 
number of years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a book titled, Your God is Too Small. And he said this, he argued that we have reduced God to something that we can manage, or it's a God who exists to serve me and my needs. When the people saw that the man who used to be lame was now walking and leaping and praising God, they were amazed. They were in awe. Michael Iaconelli wrote this. He said, the greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer amazed or astonished by him. So if we as Christ followers are not amazed with what God has done, how can we expect that culture we're trying to reach to be amazed to? Because Peter and John helped this man in the name and the power, they got the opportunity now then to speak into that culture. And we will too as a church. When we respond to the Holy Spirit, when we um, impact that culture, we'll have the opportunity to speak truth into them. So Peter then had the opportunity to say to the crowd, thousands of people repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the time of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is the same passage, passage that Peter taught in Acts, this recorded in Acts chapter 2. And so it, it's obvious from the story that thousands of people were gathered around. And then later in chapter 4, verse 4, it says what the impact of Peter getting to speak to this crowd was. And the text says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Because Peter and John, on their way to church, Stopped for that divine appointment, 5,000 people became Christ followers that day. Do you ever wonder what might have been? What might have been if Peter and John hadn't stopped? If they'd gone on to church, they might have had an impact. They were, they were still on a mission. They were having an opportunity to speak to some people. And we have to ask the same question. What might we be, be missing as a church when we're so focused on getting here that we miss opportunities out there? As you continue reading through Acts, I'm not going to give away the rest of the story, but I'm just going to give a teaser for what is to come. Because I think it helps kind of culminate this story and it brings us to that last point. So as you continue reading the book of Acts, you're going to get the rest of the story. And there's one last point that, we'll, that you'll find from as you read the rest of the story and it's this. The only way our churches, the only way 12th Avenue is going to be able to impact the culture is, is uh, that it's been obvious that we've been with Jesus. It must be obvious that we've been with Jesus. In fact, I'm going to read one verse in chapter 4 just to give you a teaser of that, uh, verse 14, because, uh, because Peter and John healed this man and because the crowds were following Peter and John, then the Pharisees, those religious re leaders, brought them in for questioning, actually put them in jail for some of this too. And in verse 13, when they observed, and they there is the Pharisees, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Uneducated, uneducated, uh, untrained men uh, were in the presence of these Pharisees, and it was obvious that they'd been with Jesus. If unschooled, ordinary men in the power of the Holy Spirit can speak with boldness, and that same Holy Spirit lives in us, why can't we? Well, it must be evident that we've been with Jesus for that to occur. Now, we have to remember, too, this is, as you read earlier in the Gospels, this is the same Peter and John when Jesus was about to be crucified. And Peter said, well, well Jesus, I'll go, I'll go to prison and, and death for you. And I can imagine Jesus saying to Peter, oh, Peter, 
Even tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And now, these are the same officials that are questioning Peter and John. So again, what's different? The Holy Spirit is in them. It's given them this boldness. And it it allowed Peter and John, even in the face of uh, potential death, to say to those officials, I don't care what you do to us. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And the officials said, it's obvious they've been with Jesus. So we've got to, as we wrap this up, we've got to then, at the end of this story, ask these questions. Not just what did they do, but what must we do? We need to insert ourselves in the story. And it's obvious uh, that, that what they did was obvious as we read this story, but we have to ask the question, then what must we do also? So here's a couple of questions for us to kind of wrestle with individually as a church. Is it obvious to those we come into contact with out there that we have been with Jesus? When we're out in the culture, when we're at home, when we're at school, when we're in our workplaces, is it obvious that we've been with Jesus? Are we doing ministry and the power in the name of Jesus as a church? And are we willing for our church to potentially even change those practices or for some of those practices to be derailed so that we can respond to those divine appointments? Are we willing to allow some of those things to be derailed in order to impact that culture that God has called us to? If our answer to that, if if not, if we're not willing to do that, how can we expect ever as a church to impact that culture that's far from him? Well, as we've seen from Peter and John, it's never too late. They They had the opportunity to get it right the second time. Our best opportunity to impact culture is a changed life that causes that culture to say and recognize that we have been with Jesus. So as a church... Let's not get so caught up in going to church every Sunday. And let's not ignore that we also need to be the church when we go out into that culture. And I believe when we do that, that when, we, when that occurs, we will, uh, we will impact culture and not just imitate culture. And when that occurs, culture will say, we've never seen anything like that before. And they'll come running in awe and amazement to hear about it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word this morning, that challenge to us. Sometimes it can nail us um, as we see Peter and John. And sometimes we're so focused on, on being here for church that we miss the opportunity to be the church out there. So this morning as we leave, as we go home, as we go to a restaurant, as we go um, back to those responsibilities, we're out in culture. May it be evident to those people we come into contact with that we have been with Jesus and we continue to spend time with him. And consequently, because um, they see something different, it gives us the opportunity to speak that truth into their lives too. Thank you for that blessing. We pray this in your name. Amen. And based on this information, and I know what Garen shares this at the end of the service, so I'll say this to you too. You as a church are sent to not only be the church here, but to do church out there too.